You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello. Welcome to another fabulous episode of Dear Multi-Hyphenate. I'm your host, Michael Kushner, and I'm so excited to be bringing on Eric Lieberman as my guest for this Pride episode. Eric Lieberman has originated roles on and off-Broadway in War Paint, The Band's Visit, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and Love Music, and appeared in major revivals of Fiddler, Merrily, Into the Woods, and Minnie's Boys. TV audiences recognize him from Amazon's Transparent, Modern Family, and Martin Scorsese's Vinyl, and he appears in the upcoming film American Dream. Literary credits include Performance of the Century, Wisdom from an Empty Mind, and Luminous Life, plus a new book, documentary, and TV series in development. He is the recipient of honors including Young Arts, Lottie Lenya, and Helen Hayes Awards, as well as the 2020 Encore Award for creating the online educational series, Bridge to Broadway. For more information, please visit www.ericlieberman.org and follow at Eric Lieberman. I'm really excited to be a part of 54 Below's programming as they reopen. June 30th at 9.45 p.m., I'll be doing my solo show, Michael Kushner Sings His Hits. There are limited tickets available, so please head to 54below.com and see me in person. I'll be singing and making you laugh and cry about pride. It's going to be a lot of fun. So I hope to see you there. Enjoy the episode. My favorite episodes are when I could start an episode with a quote that is said from my guest because they are so eloquent and so fabulous. <laughs> And so well-spoken, not well-mannered, but well-spoken. <laughs> there is a difference. There is a difference. And so I'm going to say for the quote, because we open up a quote for those of you that are listening, new listeners. Ultimately, I think our job as artists is to share the secrets of our heart so that others may be set free, saving our own lives so that others can save theirs. It sounds like a log line for a lifeline movie, a lifetime movie. <laughs> <laughs> but Which, instead, I said it. <laughs> so, uh, welcome, Eric Lieberman. Hello. Thank you, bud. I'm so glad to hear you. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I used to be glad to see you, but someday that will happen again. I know. And, you know, it's so funny. We started this episode being like we're, we're recording from our closets and we never thought we'd be back that, in them. Yes. But at least. <laughs> 
at least we're in them together. So that's all that matters. Double the pleasure. Uh, double the fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, Eric, you said that quote. So what is that? What does that mean to you? Like, what is and and I'll read it back just in case you forgot. You said. I don't know what you said. It said, um, there it is. It said, ultimately, I think our job as artists is to share the secrets of our heart so that others may be set free, saving our own lives so that others can save theirs. That's pretty incredible. Oh, thank you. Sometimes I hear these things I've said and I have to really think, where was I when I shared that? And what drug um, were you on? No, there were no <laughs> drugs involved. Only high on life, high on life, I tell you. Uh, no, you know, I, I think, Michael, that actors saved my life because I grew up feeling very much like I was the only bird in the aviary. Like there was no there was nobody else uh, going through what I was going through. And then I saw beautiful actors on stage and on screen. And I thought, oh, my gosh, maybe it's worth sticking around because there are more of us. And then. As I continued on my own journey as a as a, an actor, an artist, whatever, I would meet these kids and they'd come up to me and say, basically, something you did or said saved my life, which moved the heck out of me. Uh, but it also made me realize why we have to stick to it, because there's a circle that's born of committing to bravery in this life. And if we stick around long enough, we become witness to the effect of that circle. And um, I think that taking the initiative to do the work to polish the lens that allows us to shine brightly as our message for the world, our life being our message, is what saves our life. And might just encourage someone else to take that brave journey to save their own. So I hope that makes sense. I just think it's all about leaving things better for the next in line. That makes a hundred that that's yes, it's a hundred percent clear. I, what you say, it's really interesting because there's so many lessons into what my guests say. And I think listeners can pick whatever they want and ride with it. But something interesting that you said that I don't even know if you just realized, but it's sticking around. It's that this industry caters to the people that sticks around. Yeah. What does that mean to you? And how how can someone stick around when they're really not feeling good? Great question. Um, the stick around factor is exemplified in an experience that I was blessed to have firsthand which was when I was about 16 years old, I came to New York for the first time to see a Broadway show. It was a gift from my father. And I saw Cheetah Rivera in Kiss of the Spider Woman, the musical, who in and of itself was a victorious act of sticking around because she could have rested on her laurels prior to hitting 60 and starring as a dancing movie goddess in Kiss of the Spider Woman, but she had something to prove to herself, which in turn elongated our view of what it is to be a leading lady. And I remember talking with her after the show one night. Hmm, Patrick Swayze was there. Wow. 
um, rest his soul. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, it's not enough to want to make it. You've got to have something to make it with. Meaning, you've got to have lived. You've got to have some texture about you. Otherwise, you're a performer, not so much an actor. And I, I held that with me. And many uh, years later, I got to direct Cheetah. And I told her that story. And uh, of course, she had done that for thousands of people <laughs> by virtue of her example, if not through direct dialogue. And then I got to interview her on Bridge to Broadway, which was a platform I had, and express my thanks to her. And there, art is the only thing that I can think of other than meditation that continues to scrape the barnacles off of our soul and dare us to be born to the immediate moment and live in response to it. Which leads me to your second question. Meditation, I'm a big proponent of because Mm -hmm. it's an opportunity to access on a daily or moment to moment basis because you can meditate in motion as well. The blank slate from which everything is born. We get stuck in the circumstances of life, confusing clouds with the sky. And meditation for me is a means of identifying with the sky and knowing that everything is just passing through. What we view as success, what we view as failure, what we view as pain, what we view as pleasure, it's just a kaleidoscope of sensations crossing our screen. And in the end, we just become, hopefully, beneficent witnesses of all that traffic. And that is what we make it with. Thank you, Cheetah. Woo! I yeah. got a, um, I had a really private moment with Cheetah once when I was photographing her, uh, and she was telling me about Bye Bye Birdie, and I felt, I felt, it was the first time that I had felt the ghost of my grandma come to me. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'd been waiting for my grandma to sort of show up to me. And my grandma loved Cheetah Rivera and she loved Bye Bye Birdie. And I'm actually, this is my second time that I'm talking about her today. So I, I do think she's checking in on me because she's at the forefront of my mind. But um, Cheetah gave me that sort of moment to, can, yeah, I feel like that that is probably what the common denominator between all that love Cheetah is that she offers this welcoming, this invitation to connect with what's around us yeah by watching her by spending time with her whatever it is i think that she offers that and that's what she gives to us what do you eric what do you give to those around you what is something that you hope that when someone has an interaction with you or creates with you what is Mm. what do you want them to have Thank you for asking that. Uh, I would say that I hold a vision for who they once were and who they will be. Mm. And the way that works is I find that most people doing harm to others, whether conscious of it or not, 
if I can look at them as the baby they once were, um, perhaps zeroing in on that fork in the road moment where they started to believe that their needs might not be met hmm. by whoever was around them. That is the start of the bifurcation in them that can lead them to enact harmful behavior on others as a preemptive move to not feel vulnerable again. So if they're wielding unconscious harm, I try to see them as a child. And even if they're, you know, fully functional adult, I think meeting them in the childlike play space is just valuable. It's the best gift you can give another actor. That's the spirit of complicity uh, in play. And then in seeing their future self, it's like that wonderful song from that little known musical, Good Time Charlie, Annie Ranking, also a blessed teacher and friend, rest her soul, sang, I am going to love the man you're going to be. So it's holding space for who a person will be, recognizing that we're all in process. I don't seek to be measured by a person's perspective of me from 5, 10, 20 years ago, and I don't impose that on them. Mm. There's a lot of room. Um, and that's, that's a, a place of presence. It not only meets them in the now, but it uh, extends forward and backward. I do think that human beings and the theater experience in particular is a vertical experience, which is coming back to Cheetah, what you're describing as that connective tissue or the, the energizing of the air that she has um, cultivated so well. She's standing like any great theater artist as a bridge between what has been and what will be. And that is the experience of timelessness that we seek as artists and audience members, whether we have words for it or not. We seek to be drawn from the plague of linear time into an encounter with infinity. Huh. And that's why with great stars, we say they stopped time. Mm. You mentioned vulnerability for a second. And vulnerability is, I think, was taught to me in a very, um, uh, in, in a way that did not help. It was, uh, we wasted a lot of time on vulnerability. Um, active vulnerability, I don't think actually exists. And I try to tell that to my clients that come in here that want a quote unquote vulnerable headshot. Hmm. And to me, vulnerability comes out of the actual doing of the moment, the commitment to the moment. In turn, we find a vulnerability of putting ourselves out there, whether or not it's the character or just ourselves in general in our main reality, not on the reality of, of the stage or, or the play that we're doing. But vulnerability is a really interesting concept. When do you think vulnerability is... Uh, present the most for you when do you think vulnerability is a strength when do you think it hinders us talk to me about vulnerability i'll invoke the spirit of brene brown oh. <laughs> um if you can invoke her actual presence i would love to have her on this podcast yo, but brene get in here hey, babe. hey. Uh, i love her so yeah. who doesn't love brene brown Seriously. um so 
Yeah. I, when I think of vulnerability, the, hmm, the word has an interesting connotation that I think is misappropriated toward it. Uh, when I see, I, I walked some dogs for my brother who was out of town a week or two ago. There were five dogs. and A bunch of dogs. That's a bunch of dogs. And you know, dog walkers are dog talkers. So there was a lot of nice, <laughs> a lot of nice chatting going down. But uh, anyhow, so cool. <laughs> no, but these dogs meet the day and the moments within the day with absolute presence. Mm -hmm. and, and that is an act. That is the vulnerable act, is to meet anything with presence. I think we associate vulnerability with... I'm crying and I'm telling you about the time the babysitter stepped on my toe and that might be called for, but vulnerability is just daring to stand without or with as few of the lenses of self-defense as we have gathered from that time we were as innocent as the animal or the baby. And, mm -hmm. and really all of those defense mechanisms are means of trying not to stand disarmed before the abyss. Hmm. And what is the abyss is again, it's that blank slate from which all is sprung, which is why meditation becomes so useful because you're actually practicing being okay with not knowing, which is like holding the little thimble, which is about the bandwidth our mind can contain of infinity before a vast ocean. And, and saying, I recognize the proportion of what I can hold against what is actually there. So I realize I can interpret a bit of infinity, but not the whole darn thing. And being vulnerable is just acknowledging that. For me, it works in conversations like these where there's no planning. I am... I'm listening actually more than I'm talking, meaning I'm actually listening for the response that wants to be shared through me mm -hmm. for you. And um, vulnerability in the way that I think the term can be misconnotated or um, misconstrued rather, is using our sensitivities as a weapon or as leverage to make people do things, wearing our wounds as badges of honor without then taking the next step to alchemize them. I say to actors a lot, I think the first half of our lives is trying to figure out who the heck we are and what we have to offer as interpreters. Mm -hmm. But the second half, at the very least, should be about helping others see who they are through the generosity of emptying ourselves before them and the task at hand, which is to interpret whatever the text may be. Have you um, had your past lives done? Uh, not externally, but I have had lots of visions of them. <laughs> so basically what you're sharing is what the past life regression journey is like. I went on, uh, I did one. Uh, when uh, around April 15th, when I had shared on TikTok, my um, my connection with, with the Titanic. Titanic. Mm, I remember. And a woman found me with soul signs hypnosis. Uh, this is not an ad, but everyone should 
uh, approach her because she was absolutely wonderful. She wanted to do a free reading with me because she is, was like, I had, I've been doing this for many years and I had never seen, I've never talked to anyone on the Titanic and I would love to explore this with you. So we did like what was supposed to be an hour session was like a two hour and a half session. And basically what she guided me through was exactly what you're expressing. It's that the listening through the talking is actually you're listening most. You listen, you're listening more, even though you're talking. Um, That's the channeling experience. And I, I came uh, somatically familiar with what it is to channel by being an actor, but I had a near-death experience when I was 17 and then started actually channeling. Um, It was nothing that I planned for, hoped for, or even wanted, but it became very clear to me that that was an act of service that, as I mentioned, art was warming me up for. But I think that most people have something they're here to channel. They might just be unaware of it. I don't think I've ever heard of anyone that has had a near-death experience have one and just not be chemically changed by that. Um, Sort of like it really affects, like, it changes the DNA or the, like, emotional capacity of a person. Can you go into uh as much as you can about your near death experience but how that shaped you as an artist sure um i'll avoid the the details i've just dis- actually discussed in, in in a number of interviews so i'll just give you what i feel the most salient takeaways have been um the f- the first thing was it, uh, there's an entire construct around what death quote end quote means in the human realm, which my experience rendered untrue. Um, I don't feel there's death. There's a continuum Mm -hmm. and there is a shelf life to the physical body from which we are at one point drawn to a, a different space, a more integrated space, more of that blank slate. Again, I've now touched on three times for a reason. Um, So for me, it was a blissful reunion, not just with light forms who had been embodied and I recognized who they were based on their light emission, but also with a source. Mm -hmm. And the experience of leaving the body is one of divesting oneself from the dichotomy of you and me and this and that and male and female. Mm -hmm. and all these binaries which are dissolving now. And when I came back, what I realized was the thing that everyone was fearing, death, was the wrong place to put the focus. The, The place to put the focus is on utilizing the time one has in the body to do what one came for. And there are so many strictures in place to ward people off from meeting with their source in human form, which is in fact the curriculum. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's what gave rise to my sense of the past and the present, the past and the future encoded into the now. When I look at people, 
And then people also not realizing how supported they are, even by the unseen, the beneficent mm -hmm. unseen. Mm -hmm. And of course, in, in art, in, in acting or whatever form it might take, it's all the same thing. It's reminding people of how possible it is right now to unshield their hearts mm -hmm. and unite with the fabric of what they are a, a swatch of. But most people labor under the, the uh, labor under the delusion of separateness. And that's where the pain comes in. And the sense of isolation, again, is I'm in this alone. And that walked me into the theater. So it really is a full circle. Um, you can use channeling or healing or whatever label you want to put on it to recognize that you're here to be in service mm -hmm. and that when the great master playwrights come alive again and enter the space, or even the experience you had with Cheetah and your grandmother, I've had that experience on stage where my grandfather joined me at the end of Fiddler on the Roof and he had long since passed away. And I finally understood the pogroms because he would tell me about them growing up. And and being a you know, child of the eighties and nineties, I said, Oh yeah, whatever that is, it's not relevant to me now. Mm -hmm. And accessing the blood memory through the gift of the show enabled my understanding of him. Even after he'd left body, it didn't matter. It linked us up. So it's it's um, quite a whole cloth experience. I say a multi-hyphenate is an artist who has multiple proficiencies that cross-pollinate to help flourish professional capabilities. Uh, I know that's a mouthful, but that's what I like to say that it is. It's this, um, you know, what you were saying. It's this continuum, this, uh, this ability to be able to have different factors and assets of our artistry that we hone into a professional landscape that we can garner an income with, that we can have as a part of our identity. How do you, Eric Lieberman, hmm. how do you identify as a multi-hyphenate? Well, I really hear the word synergy when you, when you render your definition. Mm -hmm. And the acknowledgement that the rising tide lifts all boats. Mm -hmm. So for me, I was um, pained by something that was put in my head when I was younger, which is if you chose to do something beyond, say, acting, mm -hmm. then you were a thief. You were stealing from your acting, betraying oh. it in a way. And um, and probably going to do your acting half as well and whatever the other endeavor would be, that half as well too. And when I finally um, got out from under that shadow, yeah, <laughs> I realized that, oh my gosh, everything makes everything better. So in writing, I would understand the architecture of which I was merely a component as an actor. And actors, of course, can get so confused by self-worth and viability that the showing up in a show becomes disproportionately about us 
Mm. When in fact, as an as a writer, you get no, no, no. You, I want you to be a fierce advocate for your character, but you're you're part of an ecosystem that's inextricably connected with all its parts. And then as a director, I had to serve as the conductor, very much as a music conductor serves as the channel through which the black and white imagery on a page is translated by live instrumentalists. And hopefully between those two things, something third is born, which we may call art or revelation or whatever. So as a director, you're very much doing the same thing. As a producer, I'm looking at hmm, the integrity of all the components. Mm -hmm. And this is where and how living a life of dignity and alignment really comes into play and how it's not enough to be sort of haphazard in personal relations off stage and then seek heroism on stage. You've really, I feel the people I want to work with, they live their lives as works of art. And as a producer, I'm looking at the culture of the company and making sure that everybody, everyone's general direction is to uplift, inspire, and illuminate through their presence, not just what they do, but what they are, who they are. And then healing, healing work, which I also do, that's the underpinning of all of those efforts. Choreography is very much the same thing. It's detecting the energetic signature between the lines, between the notes and between the lyrics. It's the connective tissue that offers a resonant field through which the audience can relax and loan themselves to the experience and give over and thus we have the communal ritual of sacrifice. I'm giving you some skin, you're giving me some skin, and together we're feeling purified and upheld by something larger. Getting into the thick of it about being a multi-hyphenate with Eric Lieberman, we are going to continue this conversation just after these messages. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. And I'm back with Eric Lieberman. And we are getting into the incredible, incredibly, not, I don't want to say it's heady, but it's, you know, it, I love, I love that we can dive into a conversation like this and really just tear it apart. And what's so great about what you're saying ties back to how we opened up this episode is that 
what Cheetah Rivera was saying regarding, and not to quote Bye Bye Birdie, but there's such a lot of living to do, you know, in order mm-hmm. to be an actor, we have to live. And that is what you're saying basically dictates your multi-hyphenate experience, especially with what you were saying was whoever said that awful thing to you about doing anything else other than acting as a thief to your acting, because why, like acting to me does not have to be imagine just, just strictly imagination. I want to be able when I step on a stage, I want to be able to connect with what I'm sharing on a personal yeah. level. I don't need to do emotional recall, but I right. do want to be able to pull from the depths of my soul and go, I was there. What you are watching me experience is for you. And I'm giving this to you because I was there. I had this happen to me. Yeah, That's beautiful to me. I, I'm feeling this correlative in your definition of multi-hyphenatism that I want to just draw out, tease out, if you will, for another yes. moment, which is it's really about presence and non-compartmentalization of life. So if you want to be a multi-hyphenate artistically, I feel like it requires in actual life not making one thing more or less important than another. Yeah, My father used to talk about that a lot. He'd say, if you consider life an assembly line of curriculum, most people are taking things off that line and saying, I'll deal with you later without regard for compound interest of avoidance, which means that those things grow larger and louder in the closet of our consciousness. If we deal with what comes before us, treating everything and everyone with presence, we're meeting them again from that more holistic place, Mm -hmm. then we tend to offer art to any of our pursuits. So I don't believe in in a life where you treat the meter maid or the postal worker or the garbage man or the homeless man different than you do the studio head, your agent, Steven Spielberg, or yourself. I also find it ridiculous because when we do treat these people like with awful, awful, awfully low amounts of respect, but then we go into the rehearsal room and we're like, this person, this person that I'm playing just just wants respect. They're they're a waiter, <laughs> they're a waiter, and and they and they haven't had a big break, but you know, they're so positive and I really admire, I'm like, no, you weren't just admiring that when you basically demanded that your fries were too cold and you said like, I'm like, stop with well, the that's bullshit. A, that's a perfect <laughs> example though. That's a perfect example of what you cited before, which is, um, by the way, and you said these people, I, I think, well, that's me because I've been those people. And me too. And, you know, we've we've all hoped, but that's exactly what, what we're talking about. Number one, you've got to have lived to have something yeah. to offer, but that's also using vulnerability, quote, unquote, as a weapon. Uh-huh. Thing, I'm, I'm precious because that's what it is. The misconnotation of the word vulnerability, some people can turn into preciousness. So- I'm showing up with preciousness around the practice of my art, but no heroism around the subject of my life. And so I'm using status to feel that I'm above or below someone. 
which again is just another way to not meet the abyss. And mm-hmm. abyss sounds so formidable. What I should say is the well, the spring, the the undefined from which all things are possible and emerge. Abyss, we're talking in grand words here today. We're talking infinity, abyss, you know, <laughs> and it, it's so wild. You know, sometimes I can, I feel like I have a better grasp of what infinity is more than an abyss, right? And I feel like that's, I don't know yeah. if that's that we know more about space than we do our own oceans. I don't know mm. if, if that's a big euphemism for something, but it's sort of, you know, I don't know if you know this story, but when in college, when I sort of started to look at the world from, uh, a very different view. I sort of grew up taking everything for what it was, believing every single thing that everyone told me. Um, but at the same time, the the uh, the 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 bright-eyed and bushy-tailed uh, view that I had of the world prevented me from understanding my own boundaries. So there are times where I do wish that I can go back and not be able to think the way that I think now because I didn't second guess myself. I didn't second guess others. I was able to create a, to create freely without any stage fright with, I just, and just go and do it. But now since I have this view of the world and this very heady view of the world where I question everything, um, I do feel more informed and more human because of it, but it sometimes it does get in the way and the first time mm-hmm. i ever felt this way was i you know it was college and all of a sudden i looked at my hands and i didn't understand why i had them hmm. and i was listening to music and i was like i don't get it what is music and then i was like i was starting to lose grasp of reality and i felt like to use the word that you were just using, I felt like I was in this abyss of actually no one knew what was going on. <laughs> mm, mm. Um, how can I trust? How can I trust others when I can't even trust myself and the point of view I have on the world? But the one thing that really helped me sort of figure it out was I was when I studied abroad in London and I was able to see how others viewed the world and Mm. understand that I am not the first person to ever have these questions or think this way. Like Shakespeare himself wrote about these things, you know, to be or not to be is literally, you know what I mean? It's the most existential question (laughs) of them all. So how do you, how do you take, so my, my question is, you know, when I started to think this way, the things that I was doing in college, like, you know, uh, spring awakening or legally blonde or this or that, like I was starting to go like, Oh my God, like, I can't, I don't don't know how much I can handle of this. Like, this is so Mm -hmm. I I'm thinking bigger things. I'm thinking of like how many leaves there are in the world and why they exist and how we Mm -hmm. got here and what's going on. How, do you, Eric, who has a very, very open heart and a very um, inquisitive brain, how do you deal with the commercial aspects of the business of which we've chosen? Well, you've covered a lot of ground. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to acknowledge that I really appreciate what you shared. Thanks. Um, and I'm, yeah. I appreciate everything you're sharing. This is really good stuff that I'm I'm excited for the audience to to uh, 
to, to chew on to while, chew while, on. while having a lovely bowl of cereal. Um, <laughs> well, I, I want to say first that there are as many realities as there are beings with the capacity to perceive them. So if you look at the electromagnetic spectrum and there are components of it that are infrared, ultraviolet, um, the the small bandwidth that the human eye can perceive, that alone tells you that within the animal kingdom, let alone the plant, you know, um, sovereignty or whatever you want to call it, there are so many ways of seeing and what we call reality mm-hmm. is just our, the head of a pin that we are interpreting as a component of infinity. Mm-hmm. So, so it's helpful to recognize that the experience you were having about your hands and um, why does this matter? Those are beautiful things. Yeah, One shouldn't take anything for granted what is it lily tomlin said reality is nothing more than a collective hunch <laughs> well yeah because and that's why people fight look at the israeli palestinian conflict reality means very different things for very different people yes um and the problem is just trying to bash people's heads and saying why don't you see it my way mm-hmm. but i guaranteed that if you went back and looked at them as a baby before the mark of trauma dropped filter after filter in front of their eyes, mm-hmm. then you would have much greater empathy and be a better artist. So I just want to uh, put that into the you know fabric of the conversation. Yeah. And then to move to your point about commercial theater, I don't see a difference between myself and commercial anything. I do think art and commerce is a really important conversation that someone needs to have with themselves with regard specifically to, do I want to live as a tool in other people's toolkits, building their castles for them, which implies I'm turning a blind eye to anything with which I might be complicit consciously or no. And we're of course having a big awakening about this right now, Uh but there's, there's far more uh, in the in what goes into making a sausage, that people willfully avoid learning about because their desire to be seen mm-hmm. is greater. Mm-hmm. Tanya Pinkins talked about this in a really powerful way last year in an article that she wrote when she said, everyone who has stepped into activism now, what's more important are the ways in which you subtly turned away because it served you, because you wanted something from the exchange. So that is a reckoning with which each human being gets to wrestle. So there's that. But I am not a proponent of referring to something outside of myself as the business. As far as I'm concerned, and maybe I'm standing on the shoulders of having taken agency as a writer, Mm -hmm. I am as much the business as anything else Mm -hmm. because I am the interpreter offering my interpretation. That's my contribution to the business, which is informed by all the head turning toward or away from truths as I perceive them or I'm willing to explore them. Mm 
as a writer, I'm rebuilding the world as I would like it to be regarded. And I really feel it's incumbent on every artist to accept themselves as the commercial whatever and to rebuild the world in the fashion that they see fit or don't complain about it. And you know, when someone says, well, I don't know how to write. You know what? When I was a child, I didn't know how to floss and I didn't know how to tie my shoes, mm -hmm. but I learned eventually that flossing would save my teeth and tying my shoes would save my face. <laughs> and so, and so I chose to, to work with them. There's a lot more clay in the studio of our lives that is malleable than most of us want to claim responsibility for. But I will say it only increases that fund of source energy that you distribute into the term multi-hyphenate mm -hmm. and you feel so much better. I feel so much better after this pause of the pandemic, mm -hmm. which cornered those of us plagued with the desire to be visible, but not seen. Mm -hmm. See, people want to be visible because they think that's going to remediate some pain that they had maybe early on about feeling not visible. But then you get out there and you realize, wait a minute, I'm complicit in something and I'm not actually being seen. My truth is not being seen because I'm not bringing it forth. Mm -hmm. And the pause has allowed all of us, and I hope that everyone has accepted responsibility for some greater iteration of their truth, not to shove down people's throats, but because it actually feels good to stand activated in what you're here for. Mm -hmm. So I try to create things that become undeniable magnets that draw the quote industry my way. Look at Lin-Manuel Miranda, perfect example. You've worked with him. Uh, he, if Lin-Manuel Miranda were left to wait to be hired as an actor, singer, dancer, then we would not probably have two of these, two at the least of these great works of art, which were functions of him making a choice. Mm -hmm. And the choice wasn't to create Hamilton or in the Heights. The choice before that was to listen to the impulse to make something more, to allow something more to course through him. And that's what iterated Hamilton and In the Heights. That's claiming agency is daring to stand bravely again before that wide open canvas that I used to call an abyss, but realize I don't like that term. <laughs> and, and bear witness and serve as translator. Mm -hmm. That's a true act of service as a human and as an artist. And that act of service fuses those two roles. It's so much more than just going, oh, I'm I'm going to write today or I'm going to. Yeah. It does start with that listening. And that is what I do implore clients to be able to do. And agency, agency does dictate the multi-hyphenate experience, right? We can't. We can't really navigate the world the way that we do without being able to infiltrate our points of view <laughs> to those around us if we if we can't stand firm in our convictions and 
and share our points of view. But we're all multi-hyphenates anyway, Michael, because if you think about it, you know, this morning uh, I was a chef (laughs) for my my breakfast. I was an incredible office manager. I took care of the emails. I I related with uh, the the postal worker uh, through whom I sent a bunch of packages. Um, I'm I'm standing in service of your quest for expansion on this subject now. And, mm-hmm. and when we hang up, I have a client. So uh, we're always all subtly shifting the hat. Um, it, the same person is wearing it, but the angle is changing. And so doing that professionally is just an agreement to do or be what we already do and are. You know, and it's a way of saying my signature, my my statement for the world, my mission for the world is unified. It doesn't matter if I'm choreographing or producing. I have a feeling, mm-hmm. a sensation that I would like to leave people with no matter what they encounter from me. And this is what separates the spiritual stage of adolescence with the spiritual stage of adulthood is that there are a lot of people, and I certainly have experienced this, do experience this, awaken to this every day, who say, oh, I want this, I want that. Mm-hmm. But they're, we're really not willing to do the thing. We'd rather talk about doing the thing. And there were years I spent avoiding writing, You couldn't get me at my desk for 15 minutes because some part of me knew I am about to face something much larger than myself that I can't control, Mm -hmm. that's going to have its way with me. And if you grew up with any chaos in your younger life, chances are, as an older person, you're going to be trying to control your circumstance to make your inner landscape feel better. I suggest... That, that's a really specific level of work I encourage everyone to do because there's a lot of people trying to control the outside world without addressing the inner and mm-hmm. the two come hand in hand. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do agree. I do agree with you in saying that we are multi, we're all multi hyphenates. And that's why I have guests come on because it's multi hyphenates in all different shapes, sizes, colors, you know, everyone has a different story when it comes to multi-hyphenating. But there is, but what's really important is understanding like there is a uh, a perseverance and there is. Oh yeah. uh, Well, can I speak on that? Yeah, please. Um, That really has to do with clarity of purpose. Mm Mm-hmm. Because if you know why you're here, if you know what you're here to deliver, or you have a seed awareness of it, then you get to ask yourself, you have a a comparative. You get to say, well, what means more to me? Sharing that seed of creation, whatever that might be inside me, letting it germinate, finding its roots, its branches, or my resistance, my investment in my resistance and my resistance to feeling discomfort. Mm-hmm. If, if you're more attached to having a story 
about why things don't work out for you, <laughs> then that will be your raison d'etre. That will be that will be your message for the world. If you're more focused on saying, yeah, I might be uncomfortable and I might not know what that means and I might be a work in progress and I might even suck, but my desire to share this passion, this message, this glory, that's my priority. So I'm willing to eat my resistance in order to stand for and as that. And I think that's really important. Within everyone is something reaching for the light. It doesn't matter how aberrant it appears. People with love can change, especially ourselves. Well, ever since you came into my life, you've changed me. And I thank you thank for you, coming Michael. on to this episode. Really is amazing. And I do think that we're going to need a part two down the line because there's so much, so much more to talk about. And um, I just want to, one last question. Where can everyone find you on the social medias? Okay. So uh, my name is spelled unusually. <laughs> it's It's... Eric with a K, not Eric with a C, because Eric with a C goes nuts. So it's it's Eric, E-R-I-K, last name, Lieberman, L-I-B. Not L-I-E-B, not L-E-I-B. L-I-B-E-R-M-A-N. And that's on Instagram, and I have a website, and I'm actually on Clubhouse, sometimes modding rooms. And um, yeah, feel free to reach out and and ask for what you want. And Eric, you're my um, first guest that I've recorded since I discovered that uh, in just uh, uh, five months of 2021, Dear Multi-Hyphenate received over 10,000 downloads, which is- That's incredible. I, I think for a little podcast that could, that started uh, right around the time of a pandemic, uh, I think that that is- uh, something to celebrate. So thank you for being my first guest since discovering that news. Well, and... Michael, I just yeah. want to say, first of all, congratulations. Thank you but second much. of all, that speaks toward the clarity of your intent. Because the leverage of a human with clear intention is more powerful than a million without. So you will reach people because you're aligned with a larger question which exists in all of us and which is what space. am i having for lunch pastrami <laughs> on rye no i'm not having pastrami on rye <laughs> i know i used to have pastrami now i don't eat red meat or pork anymore no no i don't have that either but uh i'll make some green juice or something that sounds good well thank you eric you are absolutely the best you're as you just as in uh, sensitive and inquisitive and uh introspective and poetic as you are you're equally as funny and a joy to to be around and i can't wait to see you again in person and thank you to patrick who engineered this episode and thank you to broadway podcast network alan dory Britt, katie yo you're a team of brilliant brilliant fabulous people thank if you all you, thank you all if you have a question uh, to be featured in uh, my segment you got a question you can email me at dearmulti at gmail.com and please follow Eric on social media 
Broadway Podcast Network on social media, and myself at the Michael Kushner or at your multi hyphenate. I'll talk to everyone soon. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, tell your family. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.